a lamentable comedy by anne reeve aldridge this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. reading by matt perard a lamentable comedy by anne reeve aldridge i stood one july noon on the platform of the desolate station at wachetic the sole passenger waiting for the stage the heat was quivering in the air i watched the departing train whirling like a little black ball down the narrow yellow road cut between the green fields and was vaguely glad that i was not going to the end of the island on it this was somewhere near the middle and it was quite far enough from civilization the village like so many long island villages was distant from the railroad only one or two farmhouses were in sight there was hardly a sound in the hot noonday air now that the train had gone except the whistling of a cheerful station agent who sat in the window of a little oven-like queen anne structure in his shirt-sleeves looking out at me with lively interest i had sought for a quiet country place in which to finish my novel the book which would decide beyond doubt whether i had a future as a writer or whether i was doomed to sink to the level of the ordinary literary hack for into it i had put i knew all that was my best as i looked absently down the track i reviewed the past winter months the long days and evenings spent at my desk in the stuffy little lodgings to which i was limited by my narrow income interrupted frequently by invasions on various pretexts of the ill-fed chambermaid who insisted on telling me her woes or by my neighbor from the next room the good little spinster who always knocked to ask if she might heat a flat-iron at my grate when i was in the midst of a bit of minute description she would sit down too would pour withered miss jane in my little rocking-chair to wait while the iron heated and she said she often told the landlady she did not know how i could write i had so many interruptions i had come to a place now i thought trying to quell the sense of loneliness that oppressed me as i looked around at the expanse of stunted wood and scrub oaks where i could be perfectly undisturbed if the farmer's family with whom i was to board were noisy or intrusive one could take one's writing materials and go well somewhere into the woods perhaps i was only twenty-two and i was sanguine i saw a cloud of white dust down the road nothing more but the station agent with a certainty born of long experience shouted encouragingly there she comes and presently i found myself in a large sombre and warm conveyance very like the wagon known to the new york populace familiarly if not fondly as the black maria the driver was a tow-headed lad of sixteen so consumed with blushes that out of pity i refrained from questions and sat silently enduring the heat behind the black curtains while we traversed it seemed to me miles of dusty white road bordered by ugly flat fields or dwarf woods and undergrowth before we stopped at a smart white farmhouse 
the farmer's wife hearing our approach stood on the little porch to welcome me mrs hopper gave a peculiar glance at my begrimed person and face and i followed her up the narrow stairs with an odd homesick sinking of the heart seized by a momentary pang of that nostalgia of the pavement felt oftener by the poor than rich dwellers of the city in exile perhaps i loved new york in an inverse ratio to what i had suffered in it all the miseries of hope deferred unremitting labor and unnumbered petty cares attendant upon a straitened income were forgotten and i yearned for its ugly midsummer glare even its unsavory odors and my stifling little chamber all troussien as i surveyed the tiny bare room with its blue and gray cottage set its whitewashed walls hung with a solitary engraving of lincoln and his cabinet it was not a beautiful spot truly yet i thought dubiously as i drank in the silence it might be a very good place in which to bring to an end the sufferings of my heroine who had agonized through several hundred pages of a manuscript i expect you're tired said mrs hopper sitting down carefully on the edge of the feather bed to which i was condemned it's a pretty quiet place here ain't much of a village but then you said you wanted a quiet place to ride in i guess you'll be surprised there's another author here maybe you know him his name's longworth john longworth don't why he lives to new york no he ain't right here in the house he's across the street to the bangses but you'll see him she said encouragingly it'll be awful pleasant for you two authors to get acquainted the bangses don't keep cows and every night at milking time over he comes to get a glass of warm milk guess he likes to talk to our men folks old bangs ain't much company for anybody let alone a rider he's got a man with him to wait on him a kind of nurse i believe he was near dead before he came here though he looks pretty smart now had a fever some of the folks here have got it around he was out of his head a man so a settin around out a doors writin from morning till night lord how mad it made the bankses mrs hopper indulged in an abrupt retrospective laugh of enjoyment they was so set up having a rider there and mary bags was pretty well taken down when i told her we was a-going to have one here she acted as if she didn't believe there was more'n one author to new york and that was mr longworth continued mrs hopper regarding me with a proprietor's pride as i removed my hat and hung it on a nail driven in the wall i smiled as i reflected that i too should doubtless be looked on with suspicion as a fit subject for a straitjacket if i an able-bodied young woman should sit out of doors with my writing while my presumable betters were working well i guess i'll go down now said mrs hopper after a brief pause in which she examined my gown i expect you want your dinner we live a good piece from the store miss marriott and any time if you should get out of ink don't make any bones of asking for it 
we've got some right here in the house and you're as welcome to it as if you was my own daughter i was glad to find at dinner that the family consisted of mr and mrs hopper only with the exception of a couple of farmhands whose lumbering tread down the back stairs wakened me each morning about four i found mr hopper a tall bent old man with meek faded blue eyes and a snowy frill of beard he had an especially sweet and pathetic voice with a little quaver in it like a bashful girl's he laid down his knife and fork and looked at me with an air of gentle inquiry as i took my seat at the table mrs hopper tells me you're a literary he said at length i'm afraid i replied yes with the rising inflection of the village bell nothing else occurring to me to say well said mr hopper softly pushing back his chair and rising to leave the table it's in our family some too and in ma's one of my uncles and one of her brothers he shuffled out of the room with a placid smile as mrs hopper said deprecatingly but with conscious pride la pa jim never wrote more'n two or three pieces for a few days i took a vacation i wandered about the back lots down to the mill dam up and down the lonely winding street where all the prim houses and they were very far apart wore a desolate closed look as though the inhabitants were away or dead i grew accustomed to my environments the little bedroom began to seem like home to me on my way to the post office someone passed me on the sandy yellow patch a man clothed after the manner of civilization whose garments cut by no country tailor were not covered by overalls i knew it must be the other author none of the males in wachitic appeared in public except on sunday save in overalls it would have been i think considered unseemly if not indecent the man was young with a worn delicate face marked by ill health and though i had studiously avoided the yard near milking time in spite of mrs hopper's transparent insistence each evening on my going out to see the brindled heifer i think my indifferent glance was assumed for though john longworth so far as i knew had not his name inscribed on the records of fame and was probably a penny a liner on a third-rate newspaper i had the instinct of fellow craft that is alas strongest in the unknown and ardent young writer he walked feebly and his brilliant eyes were haggard and circled as though by long illness i saw him drive by nearly every afternoon accompanied by his nurse a good-humoured young fellow who helped him tenderly into the carriage and drove while he lay back with the irritated expression that the sense of enforced idleness and invalidism gives a man in the heyday of youth mrs hopper who was loquacious to a degree told me long stories of his parents wealth of the luxuries brought down with him and of the beautiful pieces of furniture he had sent down for his room for his physician had recommended him to an absolutely quiet place for the entire summer she burned with an irrepressible desire to have me make the acquaintance of this son of wealth and literature either from the feminine proclivity for matchmaking or because 
possibly she thought having an intense reverence for writers that our conversation would be of an edifying and uncommon character i feared she was disappointed for on the occasion of our first meeting i believe mr longworth came to see mrs hopper on some trifling business and i happened to be riding on the front porch our remarks were certainly of the most commonplace type and i saw a shade of disappointment steal across her face as she stood by triumphantly having accomplished her wish to get us acquainted mr longworth overtook me the, the next day as i was returning listlessly toward noon from a long walk my arms full of glowing st john's wort the color of sunset back of me lay the long stretch of flat road and the fields on either side were scorched with the sun the heat was intolerable mr longworth would carry the flowers for me and i resigned them knowing that nothing is more distasteful to a man than to be treated like an invalid and the bunch was really a heavy burden i had gathered such an enormous armful together with some tender creepers of blackberry vine we chatted of the place of the people and i found that my companion had a keen sense of humour as we neared the house after a moment's hesitancy i asked him to come and rest on the little porch where a couple of splint rockers and a palm-leaf fan invited one to comfort and coolness he accepted the invitation with alacrity though he chose to sit on the wooden steps while i tilted lazily back and forth overcome by the noonday lull and heat he looked so boyish when he took off his hat with the dark little curls falling over his forehead that i thought he could not be older than i the walk had perhaps been more than he could bear for he was so pale that i could not help saying pardon me mr longworth but you look so ill will you let me give you a glass of wine i had brought a little with me he looked slightly annoyed but he answered gaily i suppose mrs hopper has been telling you i am a confirmed invalid indeed i am almost well now and i need wilson about as much as i need a perambulator but i knew if i did not bring him my mother would give up bar harbor and insist on burying herself with me either here or at some other doleful spot stagnation having been prescribed for me oh well i don't mind the quiet he continued leaning his broad shoulders against the pillar and pulling out a bit of the st john's work for he had thrown it down in a straggling heap on the floor of the porch i'm at work on on a book he said with a boyish blush yes i replied smiling mrs hopper told me that there was an author in wachita and that was what mrs bangs told me the other day he declared audaciously and then we both laughed with a foolish gaiety of youth that rids itself thus of embarrassment it is my first book he confessed and mine i said our eyes met a little wistfully as if each were striving to read whether the other had gone through the same burning enthusiasms for work the same loving belief in its success the same despondent hours when it seemed an utter failure devoid of sense or interest and then somehow we felt suddenly a mutual confidence a sense that we knew each other well the instant camaraderie 
of two voyagers who find that they have sailed the same seas passed through the same dangers and stopped at the same ports i heard mrs hopper open the hall door caught a glimpse of her looking out at us with satisfaction on her face warm from the kitchen fire and heard her close it with much elaboration and tiptoe heavily away yes this is my first book he went on as though we had not paused of course i have had experience in writing before magazine sketches and that sort of thing beside that i once had a mania for newspaper work and much to my mother's horror i was really a reporter on one of the city papers the earth circulation guaranteed over three hundred eighty thousand i continued rather ashamed of my flippancy although he laughed exactly well after a time i had an offer to go on the editorial staff of the eon through a friend who has influence with the management and it was just then i was taken ill with this typhoid fever that has left me the wreck you see he said with a whimsically sad smile that is not the worst though he went on a shadow falling over his upturned face i cannot explain it although my doctor pretends to i had written oh say half a dozen chapters of this book before my sickness as soon as i began to be convalescent i wanted to amuse myself by going on with it i had my plot roughly blocked out my characters were entirely distinct in my mind yet when i took up my pen again i found i could not write connectedly it was simply horrible i shall never forget that day of course i imagined i should never write again i sent for two or three doctors announced that i had paresis and was told that it was madness for a man who had been as ill as i to attempt any sort of literary work for weeks if not months but the sense that i absolutely could not write preyed upon me i used to do a little each day in spite of their orders but it is only now that i am beginning to feel the confusion of ideas lessening and the ability to present them coherently growing even yet i only write disconnected parts of the chapters i had planned it is oh what is the pet word of phrenologists continuity that i have not at my command i suppose you cannot quite understand the agony of such an experience never having gone through it only yesterday i tore up thirty pages of manuscript and had more than half a mind to burn the whole thing it is only the consideration of the possibly great loss to the literary world that withholds me you know he said with a half bitter laugh throwing down the ruins of the flowers he had pulled to pieces with his thin nervous hands and rising but i have been an unconscionable bore even for a valetudinarian and i believe they are privileged to tax people's amiability i hope i haven't tired you so that you will forbid my coming again i will promise not to talk about myself next time he said as he turned to go down the path i wondered what his book was like as i lazily watched him cross the street in the noonday sun and then i remembered with a twinge of conscience that i had hardly written a thousand words since i came this soft air 
redolent of spicy midsummer odors seemed to produce an invincible indolence even of thought after the struggles of the past winter i was feeling the reaction in utter relaxation of will and purpose i wondered were i in mr longworth's place would i ever write again from the mere love of it was the end even if that end were success worth the pain of attaining it and then fearing to question myself further i went to my room and began to write late july was very beautiful in wachitic from the ocean a dozen miles distant was wafted the faintest suggestion of the odor of the sea the wide fields of lush pasture seemed to drink the sun all night the murmur of the little stream falling over the mill dam filled the dark hours with soft whispers the low woods with their glittering leaves of the scrub oak tempted me and i discovered fairy glades in their depths where the grass was thin and pale and strong ferns grew about the roots of the trees sometimes mr longworth would accompany me on my trips of exploration and happy in our youth and the gladness of summer and forgetful of strict conventionality we would spend long mornings together writing and reading in an especially cosy spot at the edge of the woods back at the farm mr longworth was growing so strong that wilson's position was almost entirely a sinecure and he spent most of his time lounging in the one village store relating remarkable stories of new york to a circle of open-mouthed idlers day by day i watched the lessening pallor and the growing health of mr longworth's face and saw him visibly gain strength he could carry all the rugs and books and writing materials to our sylvan sanctum without fatigue and he was so boyishly proud of his health that he used to exhaust himself with two long walks for which i administered lectures that he always received submissively one warm morning we had spent an hour in writing i had grown tired and throwing down my pen and pad i left mr longworth still at work and strayed out into the field in the sun there had been no rain for days and the locusts filled the air with their zine the white field was dotted with golden patches of the arnica blossom or yellow daisy as the farmers called it i wandered through the hot knee-high grass picking handfuls of the broad yellow suns then childishly threw them away and pulled others with great heads of sweet red clover and spears of timothy too i was so happy my whole being was filled with causeless peace and gladness from time to time i glanced back to the shade of the oak trees to the tall slender figure with the dark head bent over the white sheets of manuscript and i sang softly a little song for very joy of my life i looked up to the deep cloudless sky around at the wide stretch of green in the golden sunlight then almost unconsciously back once more to the edge of the woods where the spread rugs made a tiny home fit for the heart of summertide nor did i guess even then which was the dominant note of this wonderful chord that my life had unconsciously struck i knew only that the world was far more beautiful than i had ever dreamed and still singing under my breath the little cadence that seemed to fit the day 
i wandered slowly back leaving a path crushed between the tall sun-faded grasses as i went mr longworth laid down his work as i approached a strange absurd shyness possessed me after the weeks of strengthening friendship and simple good fellowship but i held out the great bunch of daisies playfully to him as i seated myself on the pile of rugs he reached his hand for them eagerly and buried his face in their sunny depths his eyes shone feverishly with his stress of work and his thin cheeks were flushed you look tired i said you should not ride so long thus far though we had often jested about it we had never read each other portions of our work when i get mine half done i had said when he begged me to read him a chapter when i can manage to make a chapter run smoothly to its end he had replied laughingly in turn but now to-day urged by some necessity for an absorbing topic into which i could plunge losing my restlessness i insisted that he should read fragments at least to me demurred at first i have told you how stupid it sounds these disconnected bits little descriptions detached conversations sometimes i think i shall never use them after all he fingered the pages absently no read it to me as it is i begged i must hear it i understand of course how it is written and so yielding to my entreaties he read while i leaned back against the tree trunk listening at first critically and interested perhaps because it was his work then with clasped hands and shortening breath leaning forward that i that i might lose no word a little squirrel scampered through the undergrowth back of us and far in another field i could hear mr hopper's quavering voice as he called to the haymakers sometimes a leaf rustled falling to the ground but it was very quiet at last he laid down the leaves and fixed his dark eyes eagerly on my face as if he would read my thoughts but my eyes were full of tears and they were selfish tears my poor book i said with a tender contempt for it do you mean he began incredulously i mean that this is wonderful and that i know i shall never write again i said i do not know how it is but i can read by the light of your book that you have genius and that i am a failure it is well that something brought it home to me before i wasted any more time i meant to speak bravely but i knew more than this i knew that with all my air-castles shattered with the knowledge that to him literature was a pastime while to me it meant livelihood i gloried more in his success than i should in my own that i was glad that he and not i was to have fame and in the tumult of new emotions against which i struggled my lip quivered i turned aside my head and felt but i did not see the hand that touched mine thrilling me so that i drew away miss marion kate no no i cried facing him with my cheeks crimson and speaking rapidly i want you to let me send a few pages for a reading to mr the editor of blank's magazine he is a friend of mine he has been so good to me you say you have no publisher in view i am certain he will take this when it is finished and you know what that means 
it will make your reputation and ah but you see these are only fragments he said sadly regaining his composure suppose i am never able to weave them properly into the plot you cannot know how discouraged i am sometimes will you not let me send them i asked eagerly it is quite true that they are only fragments but no one could write such things and then fail of success in elaborating it is impossible come let us go it is nearly dinner-time i went on not giving him time to speak as i began gathering up the books and rugs no do not talk of my book it is over it was only a fancy of mine i ought to have known i could not really write and it came to me clearly this morning so clearly if you will let me be godmother to yours that will be a little consolation i said laughing and having now his consent to send his manuscript to mr Blank, i hurried him homeward talking gaily of indifferent topics and avoiding the tender questioning eyes that sought my own that there was bitterness in the realization that i had miserably failed that my novel was stupid and lacked the elements of interest i cannot deny why i had not seen it all before i can never understand but this morning as i compared it with the brilliant and strange play of fancy that characterized mr longworth's work i felt it keenly and conclusively in the long afternoon hours i spent that day alone with my manuscript i learned to face calmly the fact that i must go back to newspaper work without the vestige of a hope that i should ever write a readable novel what it meant to me to arrive at this conclusion no one will understand who has not had the same hopes and the same downfall yet through those hours in the little whitewashed bedroom with the locust boughs tapping against the window the memory that i strenuously put away of that warm clasp of the new tenderness in the voice that had called me by my name softened the sharp pangs of disappointment and he at least would not fail as i had done toward sunset i laid away my dead book and went down to the sitting-room where mrs hopper sat placidly mending she looked a trifle anxiously at my reddened eyelids feel well she queried plying the needle swiftly you mustn't let things prey on to your mind she admonished for you won't get your money's worth of good out of the place and besides lord what is there worth worrying over anyhow money ain't worth it and love ain't worth it she declared with a keen glance at me but there what is the use of telling anybody that i worried some before i married pa i guess it's natural i thought thinks i mary ann bishop he's years older than you and he's weakly and there ain't much doubt but what you'll be left a relic now look that was ten years ago and pa ain't no more out o slew in he was then and then i thought there he had one wife pa was a widower and i expect he'll be always a comparing of us it ain't happened once at least not out loud and oh how good he was to that woman it didn't seem as if he could be as good to his second he was all over the place said mrs hopper laying down pa's calico shirt and speaking in low and impressive tones as befits the subject of death 
how he bought her a brand new wig two weeks before she died and he let her be buried in that wig that cost over thirty dollars and as for a stone well there he went over to gilsey's marble yard to new side and picked out a sixty-dollar tomb and never asked him to heave off a cent and that man miss marriott said mrs hopper he'd do just as well by me as ever he'd done by her and i'm confused and i'm happy i can tell you i'm a believer in marriage she said with a proud smile as she rose to give tea mr longworth brought over a neat package of manuscript that evening which i sent with a letter to mr blank we sat talking on the porch watching the moon rise and flood the dew wet fields with a tide of white radiance occasionally we heard mr and mrs hopper in the lamp-lit sitting-room making brief comments on neighborhood gossip or the crops and then mrs hopper would go on silently sewing and pa his white head bent over a farm farmer's almanac made long and painful calculations on a scrap of paper in which he seemed to get much mysterious assistance from the almanac without the cool night air touched my face gently my head was burning and fevered with the day's emotions but i felt the infinite peace of the evening calming me no i said firmly indeed i have decided wisely mr longworth i am going back to my old work cheerfully and shall never think again of my my disappointment i believe i can easily get work on my old paper the courier and i have been offered an editorial position on a new fashion paper beside my weekly letter to the red canyon gazette naturally i did not tell him that i had spent all my savings of a year on this planned vacation when i was to finish the book that should reimburse me you shall not go back to that wretched drudgery said mr longworth in his impetuous nervous manner do not imagine you are ever to do it again tell me he said lowering his voice and leaning toward me so that he could see my face shaded by the vine-hung trellis could you be happy we heard mr hopper moving around the room uneasily and instinctively mr longworth paused ma said the old man a trifle reproachfully i'm afraid you don't try to make it cheerful for them young folks why don't you go out and set for a spell i guess i'll go stay where you are joseph said mrs hopper in loud tones of disapproval that were wafted through the open window to us did we want the old folks forever running after us before we was married mr longworth tried not to steal a mirthful glance at me but he found it hard to resist oh ma replied the old man gently there ain't none of that going on he ain't a marrying man and we heard his slippered feet pattering softly over the oil-clothed entry and his mild face beamed on us through the net door which he held open for a moment before he came out and seated himself in the rocking chair well now this is comfortable he said with a cheerfully social air i can tell you this is a night for authors here's a chance for poetry with a wave of his thin weather-worn hand toward the peaceful fields made any this evening he inquired ain't well i guess you'll never come across a more inspiring night he said with some disappointment i expected likely you'd have some you could say right off 
for a plain farmer i don't suppose there's anybody fonder than i am of verses he said musingly i believe i told you twas in our family i wish you could have met my uncle miss marriott died on his ninety-second birthday and had writ a long piece on each birthday for a matter of forty year that there man was talented i tell you there wasn't no occasion he couldn't write a piece on to why the night ma and me was married we was married in ma's sister's parlor we hadn't more'n turned around from the minister and before anybody had a chance to congratulate us uncle he steps right up in front of us and says he now you are married and man and wife may you live happy this mortal life and when your days on this earth is o'er may you both meet together on the evergreen shore it come to him just come to him that minute like a flash said the old man reflectively the pathos of his sweet tremulous voice lending unspeakable melody to the preposterous stanza mr hopper had evidently settled himself for the remainder of the evening and after a time mr longworth bade us good night and went across to the bangs homestead all that night i tossed about on my uncomfortable feather bed or rather when i found i could not sleep i rose after a time and wrapped in my dressing-gown i sat by my tiny window watching the shadows of the wind blown locust boughs on the moonlit grass below full of the dreams which are the stuff that romances are made of and which though i had often used them as material i had never known myself before shy and tender dreams they were that glorified that summer night and kept me wakeful until dawn the next day and the next i was ill and feverish so ill that i could not rise mr longworth brought for me great bunches of choice flowers for which he must have sent wilson to the next town of new Sidon, and a dainty basket of fruit the third day i rose and dressed toward noon and weak as i felt i decided to walk down to the post-office for i thought perhaps the air would do me good and beside the mail was never brought up until after dark and i longed to find if mr Blank had written me as i expected about the manuscript i knew he would be very prompt with me i found several letters in the box for me and eagerly scanning the envelopes i discovered the well-known buff tent with the red device of a female figure with a book clasped to the breast that is the livery of blank's magazine i tore it open reading as i slowly walked mr blank had written as follows in his hurried hand office of blank's magazine my dear miss marriott i returned the manuscript you sent us and i have no hesitation in saying that your friend is a genius in fact i was so chained by the somewhat wild and singular style that i sat up most of tuesday night to go through it myself of course in their present disconnected state the fragments are quite unavailable to us but when worked into a story they ought to make a success i hope we shall have the first reading of the completed book i understand it is the work of a beginner but it bears none of the marks of the novice and i can but think we have discovered the coming american novelist by the way how is your own book coming on yours in haste blank 
i had walked on some distance from the post office as i read this for mr blank's chirography was almost undecipherable even to one accustomed to it i was just folding the letter to replace it in the envelope when i heard heavy footsteps hurrying behind me i turned my head and saw wilson quite red in the face with trying to overtake me beg pardon miss he said touching his hat i saw you coming out of the office and i'd like to speak to you a minute if i may what is it i asked somewhat surprised i stepped back from the path and wilson stooped down awkwardly and picked a twig from a low bush that grew by the fence well he said drawing a long breath i've been thinking it over and i've made up my mind to tell you i expect i ought to have done it before but my orders were so strict and you see i'm saving up to get married and a man hates to lose a good place but that's neither here nor there miss the truth is i ain't mr longworth's nurse and i ain't his valley neither i'm i'm his attendant well what of it i said with some irritation how could wilson's absurd distinctions matter to me what did i care whether he called himself valet or nurse or attendant to his credit be it said that there was no tone of half exultation almost pardonable after my manner of annoyance as he went on his heavy spatula fingertips were stripping the little twig bare of its leaves as he continued i fixed my lowered eyes on that bit of older i remember every tiny brown knot on it and how one worm-eaten leaf curled at its edges you see said wilson clumsily i mean i was his attendant up to the retreat it was a real high-toned place and they did not take any dangerous ones only folks like him his people ain't the kind that stand for price they've got plenty and they don't care what they pay i dare say you've been in his father's store many a time longworth and whittles one of the biggest and best dry-goods stores on sixth avenue the old gentleman's rolling in gold and there ain't a nicer lady in new york than mrs longworth you see it was this way young mr longworth didn't like business and they sent him abroad to be educated and when he come back he just fooled around and went out a good deal and finally he got in with some literary folks one of his friends took him to their receptions and he got it into his head he was going to be a writer his folks didn't care they'd have paid a publisher any price to take his books if it would have done any good but finally he took to shutting himself up in his room day and night writing all the time and it told on him pretty well for i guess he'd never wrote anything but checks before and then he'd burn it up as fast as he wrote and not come out of that room for days at a time he kept a saying it would be all right it would only fit together but that's just where it is don't any of it fit together and now he just writes over and over the same things he wrote a year ago he don't know it he burns em up and then he thinks it's all different he got so bad the doctor said he'd be better up to dr balsam's retreat where they could kind of soothe him down and make him think his health was out of order and get his mind off his writing but he did have a pretty bad fever up there and ever since he thinks he was editor or something on some paper and he can tell it off straight as a string he's all right about everything else 
and if you didn't know about it you'd think he was just what he says sure enough it's pretty near killed his mother seems funny a young fellow with nothing to do but spend money getting it into his head to write books well they said i wasn't to tell anybody and i ain't told anybody but you and i thought as you was a writer and pretty busy i guessed you wouldn't want to waste your time over his book they say folks do that it's first-rate as far as it goes but you see it don't never get any farther and it never will i thought i'd better tell you about it said wilson his plebeian kindly face crimson with a delicate pity that would have done honour to an aristocrat and still working assiduously at the little twig i knew you was a genuine writer yourself and it seemed a pity for you to take up your valuable time helping him on about something that can't amount to anything may he be forgiven that gentle falsehood i looked for a moment at the wide-spread field and distant woodland lying green in the peaceful sunshine at the place grown so dear to me that now whirled before my eyes far down the road a heavy farm wagon creaked its way toward us in a cloud of white dust you did quite right to tell me wilson i said turning to go no one shall hear of it from me i looked down at the buff envelope from blank's magazine which i had crushed in my hand and smoothed it out mechanically as i went on in the increasing heat it was only august but my summer was over End of a lamentable comedy by anne reeve aldrich